0: If you were asked to list the basics of Bible prophecy, what topics would you include in the list? Or would you even be able to make a list? One-third of the Bible is prophetic in nature and most Christians know little or nothing about these prophecies. Stay tuned for a consideration of the fundamentals of God's prophetic Word. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, A program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to Biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our Blessed Hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Well, as you can readily see, our set is just a little bit crowded today. On each end are Associate Evangelists of mine in this ministry, and on my right is Nathan Jones, the co-host of this program, and on the left Tim Moore, one of our Associate Evangelists. These are the bookends today. And sitting next to me, is our very special guest. His name is Daryl Nunley. Daryl is a businessman from Winchester, Kentucky, and a lifelong Bible teacher, and uh, he is a member of our ministry's board of trustees. And in just a moment, we're going to find out more about him. Well, the reason Daryl is with us today is because he's the co-author with me of a new book that we have just published. It is titled. The Basics of Bible Prophecy. And since we are the authors of the book, we are sitting in the hot seats today where our interview guests normally sit. And since we are the ones to be interviewed, I'm going to turn the program over to Nathan.
1: Great. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Reagan. I, this is comfortable. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Daryl, I got to say, this is a great book, sir. Uh, before we get into your background, I want to know what is your favorite chapter? You give 24 lessons like the Jews in prophecy, New Testament prophecy, the rapture, the Antichrist, the millennium. What is your favorite chapter?
2: So you wanted to start out with the most difficult question, right? Sure thing. <laughs> let's get that out of the way. Well, I don't have it. Okay. I don't have one. Okay. I have two. Why is that? Two. And the reason being number one of those two is chapter 18 is about the second coming. Yes. And then the other one is 23 about death. Okay. And the reason why I would say that they are the most favorable to me is because those are the ones that I believe from my talking to a lot of other people that they don't know quite as much about as some of the others. In other words, everybody wants to know about death, but nobody wants to talk about it. Right, And they don't understand what's happening at death, what's going to happen immediately, and then what's later versus is the Spirit going to always be conscious? Or is the body going to be dead and gone forever? Or are they ever going to be reunited? Just a lot of misinformation out there about death. Well, I
1: can understand we like death so much. How I met you is a fascinating story because we met in Israel while you were taking your wonderful family around. And then I came up to speak at a church in Kentucky, and you told me something amazing that you only had a few months left to live, according to the doctor. Is that why death is fascinating for you? Because you're here, you're alive, so
2: what Walking happened? Miracle. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> no, the reason why I chose that one is that uh, most people don't understand what happens after death. Okay. And many books go into it and they make it complex. But Dave and I tried to make this very simple. It's amazing
0: how many Christians think that when they die they become angels. Yes.
2: (laughs) Well, we had a long discussions in your hotel about death
1: because you were facing it. Do you think the Lord then has given you a second chance to write this book, to do
2: all the ministry that you do? Well, I don't know what all God does or when, but yes, (laughs) He He has led me to this. And I had dreams of this book. A long time ago. Okay. But thank goodness I didn't try to do it myself until I talked Dave into helping me with it. He is the mastermind behind this book. So the idea behind the book is Dave. Well, what's your favorite oh, no, chapter? No, 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 doctor? that's not that's
0: not true at all. No. The idea behind the book is his. Oh. Well then. Uh, he he's the one who came up with the idea. He's the one who came up with okay. the vision, and uh, I was just simply the one who said I think it's a great vision, a great idea, and I'll help you. Okay. Me yeah. of the
1: minds.
0: Now, yes. uh, are you going to let me respond to that question?
1: I, I asked it, yes. All right. Please do.
0: Well, I don't know that I have a favorite chapter, but I'll tell you what I think is the most important chapter of the 24. Without a doubt to me, the most important chapter is number 4. four. The interpretation of Bible prophecy. That is big. Because Why is that important? That's what everything depends on, and and one of the things that we do in this book is that we start each chapter with a bold, assertive statement, and in chapter three, the bold assertive statement that we that's chapter four that we make is Bible prophecy was meant to be understood by the common person. That means you don't have to have a Ph.D. degree, you don't have to have a seminary degree, you don't have to have a degree in hermeneutics, whatever that is. I always <laughs> want to ask who is Herman, <laughs> but hermeneutics, but. Our point is that if you're going to understand Bible prophecy, you need to take it for its plain sense meaning. Okay. And the problem is that most people have always spiritualized prophecy. That's been true of the church since 400 AD. And the result of that is that the majority viewpoint in Christendom today is the amillennial viewpoint, which is totally based on the spiritualization of prophecy. Of saying in time Bible prophecy does not mean what it says. If you have if you spiritualize prophecy you will end up being an amillennialist or a postmillennialist. If you take it for its plain sense meaning you become a premillennialist. And what happened was the Catholic Church in 400 AD adopt amillennialism began to spiritualize all of Bible prophecy. Nobody could say anything because the church ruled absolutely and it wasn't until really the 1700s when people could get hold of the Bible because of the invention of the printing press. And they begin to read the Bible because it had been translated into their languages. And they begin to say, hey, the Bible says Jesus is coming back on to reign for a thousand years. It says so six times in, in Revelation 20. It says so all through the Old Testament. And they began to develop once again the idea of premillennialism that the Lord is coming back to reign for a thousand years. So that's the, to me, the key to all of Bible prophecy. Do you approach it symbolically or for its plain sense meaning?
3: Well, I think you all have answered one of the questions I would have asked which was who came up with the idea for this book. And obviously it initiated with Daryl, and then Dave you followed up on that. But, uh, yeah,
0: Daryl came up with the idea, the vision. He presented me with all the chapters. Wow. And he wrote a first draft of all of them. And then I took it from there.
3: And, and you all really have touched on the purpose of the book which is to get the average person understanding that they too can understand Bible prophecy, and then an outline of some of the uh, the lessons that Bible prophecy would teach. Yeah.
0: what, what Darrell has taught for many, many years an overview of the Bible using a book similar to this. And that he came to me and said, you know I've done this for years, how about one that just focuses on Bible prophecy? Why don't you just talk a little bit about yeah. your vision and your purpose?
2: Well, I was teaching in Africa for several years. I would go twice a year, spring and fall. And then after a while of teaching some other things besides the overview of the Bible, these people got to started asking me, why don't you tell us about prophecy? And that's when I came back, I realized now, and looked up some prophecy and looked up some scholars. And that's when I landed on Dave and his conference. And I went to the first two and realized this man's books I need to get. So, then I went back and started teaching prophecy to those people in Africa. And what I liked about that is they had no preconceived notions. Mm. They weren't mm. into spiritualization like a lot of Americans, excuse me, are. And they just wanted to know what the Bible says, plain and simple. <laughs> well, and so, it, I kept going and I got I thinking about how I had taken that book that they were just talking about, that Survey of the Bible book, and I had changed it a little and put it on PowerPoint and they got it. And I was I was like a lot of people. I don't think I'm abnormal. My parents (laughs) drugged me to church, okay? Every Sunday of my life. And I knew all the stories. I knew everything about them, forward and backward, except where they fit, what the dispensations were, what God's plan is. And I, I just felt kind of lost and actually did not understand how to read the Bible or understand it. So, got back from Vietnam, and I went to a church with my wife at that time where she'd been going, and the preacher, he was a kind of a tall guy, he put his arms around me, I'd never met him before, and said, Darrell, I'm starting a new class next Sunday and I want you in it. Well, I was used to taking orders. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and so, I did. It was 26 week, a 26 week lesson and a light bulb came off. Okay. I mean, I then understood dispensations and why this person came before that person and how it fit in God's plans. And not just the difference between Old Testament and New Testament, but, but the context of a lot of things in it. And I never will forget at the last meeting, he said, Okay, now people in this church have heard about this book and this lesson, and we're going to start it again next week, and Darrell Lonely is going to teach it.
1: <laughs> Surprise! Praise the <laughs> Lord.
2: Well, that's <laughs> the so, best way to learn something. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> so that's what got me started. You know, it's
3: fascinating to me. You mentioned the the new believers in Africa resonating with this message of Bible prophecy. And I tell people all the time that when Paul went to the church at Thessalonica he didn't wait years and decades like some uh, folks tend to today to get around to Bible prophecy early in his teaching. With this young brand new planted church he was talking about the return of Christ and Bible prophecy. And they were hungry for that message and had follow-up questions which is why he wrote two more letters to them. That we have to this day. So your testimony of the believers in Africa is so powerful as it would
0: apply to yeah. those of us here. And in keep in mind too that the very first gospel sermon ever preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost was all Bible prophecy. Yes. All he did was say. The scriptures say this, Jesus did it. The scriptures say this, Jesus did it. And finally, they yelled, What must we do to be saved?
1: Amen. Well, Dr. (laughs) Reagan, uh, since you helped format the book, you added a lot of bells and whistles, I guess you'd say. You put a lot under the engine. What are some of the formats? What are some of the features that you put in this book?
0: Well, uh, we. We we came up with a what I said previously was a bold statement for uh, every chapter in here. Uh, For example, the church and prophecy. The fact there is both bad news and good news for the church and Bible prophecy. And then what we do is we we try to develop that uh, statement or concept uh, with scripture, and uh, we have at the uh, it's it's direct, it's to the point, it's succinct. It's not uh, you know uh, uh, somebody. Talking forever about this, but it gets right (laughs) right down the point. And then we conclude each chapter with study questions that a teacher can use with the students, and the students themselves can use. A a person doesn't have to have a teacher with this, they can go through it themselves. But it's designed for a class. And then we also have charts, we have diagrams, Uh, we have uh, certain boxes where there's special information in them, we have a lot of quotations. From various uh, Bible prophecy uh, teachers uh, like Tim LaHaye and, and uh, people like that, uh, David Jeremiah. So, we've, we've put into this a lot of different uh, sources and, and thought processes for people to look yeah. at.
2: And this is called the basics. In other words, anybody can take this if they don't even know about prophecy because we put in a lot of scripture, they can take it and learn along with a class, just moderate the class with the questions and understanding that they don't have to dig deep into anything like most prophecy books are this is called an overview okay a basics that anybody can teach well i'm
1: anxious to dive into it so folks we're going to take a break briefly and when we get back i'm going to ask them tim and i questions related to the bible prophecy that they teach in this book
0: welcome to my working office I can't begin to express to you how excited I am about this book, The Basics of Bible Prophecy. The book is designed for two totally different types of persons. First, it's aimed at the person who knows little or nothing about Bible prophecy and thus it teaches the fundamentals of Bible prophecy. The other person it was prepared for is the one who is at the opposite end of the spectrum, the one who is well informed about Bible prophecy and who's looking for a guide to teaching the subject. The book contains 24 brief lessons that are illustrated with charts and diagrams, and which contain discussion questions to use with a Bible study group. Bible prophecy can be a playground for fanatics, or it can be green pastures for disciples. In this book my co-author and I show how prophecy can motivate people to holiness, inspire them to evangelism, and provide them with hope. In the process we supply answers to many intriguing questions about prophecy, like the following. How should Bible prophecy be interpreted, symbolically or literally? Why are there so many end-time viewpoints, and what are they? What is the most likely sequence of end-time events? Is the rapture of the church a biblical concept? When Jesus returns, will he reign for a thousand years? What are the signs of the times, and do they indicate that we're living in the season of the Lord's return? What happens after death, and what will heaven be like? The 24 lessons can be used for either individual or group study. You can get a copy of the book with a donation of only $15 or more, including the cost of shipping. And we will include a free copy of this Prophecy Insights publication, The End Time Sign of the Exponential Curve. To order, call the number you see on the screen. Call Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, or place your order through our website at the address on the screen. Ask for offer number 835.
1: Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and Prophecy in our discussion of this new book, The Basics of Bible Prophecy. I'm Nathan Jones, Associate Evangelist and Web Minister here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, and on the other end is Tim Moore, who also serves as an Associate Evangelist with our ministry. Tim and I are interviewing Dr. Reagan and Daryl Nunley. Dr. Reagan is, of course, the founder of our ministry, and Daryl Nunley actually is one of our trustees. The two of them teamed up to produce this new book. Now. On the back cover is the book of the book, is a series of Bible prophecy questions that are addressed in the 24 lessons contained in this book. It's the basics of Bible prophecy. So Tim and I are gonna start throwing these questions at Dave and Daryl. And Tim, why don't you go ahead and lead with the first one, would you? Well, I'd love to.
3: We already talked a little bit about the uh, interpretation of Bible prophecy as symbolic or literal. i got to tell you, Darrell, I thought of you recently when I heard a great sermon on Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, but it was all spiritualized. The hey. man wanted to talk about how God restores us, and truly that is a great principle, but did not address one iota of the literal fulfillment in our day and age. So, I want to ask you, have all the Old Testament prophecies been fulfilled, or what relevance do they have for us today?
2: Oh, a lot of relevance. And no, they haven't been all fulfilled in any way, shape, or form. Right. You know, there were 109 prophecies, specific prophecies about Jesus' first coming. Yes. And all of them came true to a T. Well, there's many prophecies about Jesus' second coming in the Old Testament as there are in the New Testament. There's also many other prophecies that haven't been fulfilled, such as in the wars of the end of times, uh, many other cases. So, we can go by what has been fulfilled exactly of prophecies in the old testament and therefore we know just another way of knowing for sure that the bible is the perfect word of god amen and we can also know for sure that the prophecies that have not been fulfilled will be coming true just like it said well you know uh,
0: tim uh, People might be shocked to to realize that there are many people who teach that all Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled. Yes. I was at a national religious convention several years ago where I was asked to have a discussion. It wasn't a debate, but a discussion where I presented my viewpoint. The other person presented his viewpoint, and there were questions. And uh, I argued that Jesus is coming back to reign again, and the other person said, "No, he's not." And uh, he, I said, well, what about Zechariah 14? Mm-hmm. And I pointed out that Zechariah 14 says the Lord's coming back to the Mount of Olives. When His foot touches the mount, He's going to split in half. He's going to speak a supernatural word. The Antichrist and His forces will be destroyed. And verse 9 says, on that day He will become king over all the earth. Mm-hmm. Yes. The aud- somebody in the audience asked the other fellow, said, what does that mean? And he said, and this was a seminary professor, and he said. I haven't the slightest idea what it means, but I can guarantee you one thing, it was fulfilled somewhere, somehow, because all Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled. And then He gave us His Biblical reason for that. Luke 24, verse 43, Jesus said, These are My words which I spoke to you while I am still with you, that all things which are written about Me in the Law of Moses, and the Prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Well, I would say amen. They must be fulfilled. But it doesn't say they have been fulfilled. So, yes. And one of the reasons so many in the church just don't understand prophecy is because very few read the Old Testament. And you cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Daniel and Revelation fit together like a hand in a glove. Yes, they do.
2: And not only that, but the only thing Revelation 20 tells us is about the timing of the Millennium. The Old Testament tells us what is going to happen in the Millennium, yes. in New Testament Millennium.
3: Well, Daryl, it's obvious you're not only a student, but an apt teacher of Bible <laughs> prophecy and everything else related to the Word of
1: God. Well, in your research, and this is what I want to get in, because you were facing down death. You had months to live. The Lord gave you a second chance. You studied death, and you studied Heaven. I love the subject of Heaven. Chapter
2: 20, tell us, what did you learn about Heaven? What's it going to be like? And that's something so many people don't understand, but we put it in a concise form. Right. A lot of people don't realize this is not going to be an ethereal heaven. We're not going to be on clouds playing harps. Yeah, how do we <coughs> <those coughs> play harps? <laughs> Let our hands go through the harp. Oh, <laughs> well, I can't play a harp anyhow, so I know. <laughs> I <can't. clears throat> so, it's going to be a real place. Our bodies are going to be reunited with our spirit. Okay. We're going to have a perfect body. So, will be tangible. You can touch us. Yes, and we will be continually learning, never as much as God, He knows everything. We're going to be continually experiencing and knowing other people, okay? And it's going to be a perfect situation. I mean, God is going to be light, but the sun is going to be destroyed in Revelation, okay? And it'll be perfect light. So, it will be such as, like I like to say, it's like a frog in water. A frog is in its own realm, it doesn't know what driving a car. It can't even tell the difference between a barn and a house. It doesn't know if it's a cow on the shore or if it's a person. A fish is in his own realm and he doesn't understand our realm. Yeah. The same way with an eagle. He doesn't understand what it's like to turn a TV on or cook breakfast or know there's a difference between electric and gas. He's in a different realm. And so it's hard for us to understand that the Bible says it's going to be a perfect thing because it's beyond us. God is spirit. And John three twenty four says we must, M-U-S-T, must worship God in the Spirit. Amen. Okay. Well, Dr. And that's Reagan, what we will, will be. We'll be spirits then in our whole heavenly body. In our body. spirit
1: body, tangible spirit. Yes. But Almost like the I love it when you pop really this to people, Dr. Yeah. Reagan, as you tell them they're not going to spend eternity in Heaven and they're shocked. Where are they going to spend it?
0: Well, they will be in Heaven, but Heaven will come to Earth. Oh yeah, so heaven right now is is not on earth. Heaven is where God resides, but the book of Revelation says point blank, God is going to come down to the new earth And he's going to live in our presence eternally. And we will live in His presence eternally. We will have tangible bodies, we'll be on a new earth, and God will be living there with us. And uh, that just comes as a real shock to most people because I find most Christians believe we are going to be these ethereal bodies, uh, spirits, ghosts, and we are going to live in an ethereal world, and there is nothing tangible, it's going to be on a new earth. And so, you know, Randy Alcorn wrote, uh, we quote him a lot in this, and Randy Alcorn wrote the most definitive book there is on heaven. And he said, if you want to know what heaven's like, go out and look out in your backyard at, at what you see and consider it to be perfect, perfected. Everything you see perfected, that's what the new earth's going to be like. No chiggers. No, no chiggers. No, <laughs> no chiggers. <laughs> well, we sing, Heaven came
3: down and glory filled my soul. So, literally, <coughs> heaven will come down and glory will flood the earth with the presence of Jesus even Christ. Even so,
0: though, his point is so good that there's nothing, that even when we think of it that way, we cannot fully understand what is lying ahead of us. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 8, Romans 8 18, which says, That the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to uh, be revealed to us. And I know some people who are suffering mightily, mightily.
3: It's like the song that is playing right now says, I can only imagine. And we can only imagine how glorious it will be. But y'all excite me with the thing that we can look forward to, which is being with the Lord. So let's talk a little bit about the timing of the Lord. How can we know? That we are living in the season of the Lord's return. We talk about signs all the time, Darrell, but what does your study and really your presentation in this book have to say about the
2: signs pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ? Well, Dave has <coughs> categorized the signs. Yes. Uh, and then a lot more he didn't actually get around to, but there's so many the signs of nature, the signs of society, the signs of spiritual, both positive and negative, he yes. talked about a minute ago. And then, Nathan, the signs of technology. Yes. And Dave, <laughs> the signs of world politics. <laughs> yep. And Tim, the signs of Israel. Yes, sir. Okay, Especially, But sir. here in just the last few years, like the last three or four years, I dare say practically every prophecy scholar has agreed that the main sign is convergence. The oh. converging of all the other signs. Before that, for several years, it was about Israel. What's happened to Israel, through Israel, because of Israel, mm-hmm. whatever. <clears throat> and they're still very important. But it's the convergence of all the signs coming together, is how we know the season is near.
3: Yes, sir. Oh, mm-hmm. my.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't I have anything more. to add to that. I tell you, that was very well put. We don't know the date. We cannot know the date. There are many people who think they do, but they're sincerely deceived. But we can know the season.
1: Well, speaking of not knowing the date, you have a chapter on the Rapture. There is a lot of fear right now with the world getting worse and worse. Uh, Some people are feeling a little hope right now with our current president. But overall the world's a mess. And Christians are worried that it is going to get so bad that we will live into the Tribulation, the seven years of God's wrath on this earth. And then we get this term the Rapture. Is it even in the Bible? What is the concept? Tell us quickly a little about that.
2: Well, the Rapture in the Greek was called Harpazo. And then when the Vulgate, Latin Vulgate was uh, translated it became raptura. And that's where we get the name rapture but it means caught up.
1: So, it's a Latin word that's been translated into English into what?
2: Rapture. Rapture. In other words. But some of the translations say caught up. That's okay. Okay. There have been a lot of people raptured like Enoch and Elijah, even Philip. We don't know where he went (laughs) but he was raptured. (laughs) That's true. Jesus was raptured. Uh So, was Isaiah and Paul. So, it's a very biblical concept. Yes, it is. And it's very clear that Jesus is going to keep the true believing church, not the fake people, Christians, but the true Christians, He's going to keep us from the wrath. And He's going to do that? With the rapture before the tribulation.
1: Explain a little then, what is the rapture going to be like?
2: Well, first of all, the New Testament saints are going to be caught up to Jesus who comes down to the clouds or in the air. All right, he doesn't come to the earth, just to the clouds. Correct. Okay. And he's going to marry those bodies with the spirits that he brings down from heaven. And then right after that, we who are still alive, pursuing we are, will be caught up, those true Christians, to meet them in the air. And that's when we will go up with Jesus to heaven forever be with him." Why do you
1: believe then that that happens? Maybe Dr. Reagan you could answer this. Why does this happen before the Tribulation, not in the
0: middle or after? Well, the Bible does not clearly reveal uh, the uh, timing of the Rapture just as it doesn't clearly reveal the timing of the Battle of Gog and Magog. We just have to uh, work on inferences. But I think the best inference of the Bible is that it will occur before. The tribulation begins, and one of the reasons there are many reasons for that, but one of the reasons certainly is imminence. The Bible teaches over and over that we that the return of Jesus is imminent; it can occur any moment. The only way you can have an imminent return of Jesus is to have a rapture before the tribulation begins, because if you don't believe in a rapture. Or one before the tribulation, then what you're doing is you are saying there's certain events that must take place before Jesus returns. I don't believe that. I believe there's not one prophecy that has to be fulfilled before Jesus returns. He could come any moment. He could come while we're talking here, and so imminence is one of the reasons I believe is going to occur before. But there are many other reasons. Uh, one of them is is the book of Revelation, the structure of it. The first three chapters focus on the church. Then you come to chapter 4, and John is taken up to heaven, and there's no mention of the church until you get to the last chapter of Revelation. There's mention of saints, but there's going to be people who are going to be coming to the Lord during the tribulation. They're going to be accepting Him as Lord and Savior, but there's no mention of the church.
1: Wow. Well, I want to close this segment, because we only have a few seconds left, with what you ended a uh, summary overview of Lesson 24. The message of Bible prophecy for believers is that Jesus will triumph and we will win in the end. I love it that you end <laughs> the book with the purpose of Bible prophecy and that is what?
0: We win in the end. Amen. Hallelujah. We win in the the end. Lord is glorified, <laughs> yes.
1: Well folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you and I hope you will order a copy of our new book and use it to organize a Bible prophecy study group at your church or home. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Nathan Jones speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for your redemption
0: is drawing near.